Warning, the following contains spoilers pertaining to the show and subject matter discussed. Also, strong language and adult content may be included. Listener discretion is advised. Thank you. This really is a magical place, isn't it? I mean, it is, but why do you say that? Look around. Take these people we just got off the train. They're coming back from the Mermaid Parade out on Coney Island. Look how fun and unique they look. And then just think about last weekend. It was pride, all the colors and love and celebration that was exhibited and shared. And even before that was the National Puerto Rican Day uh, celebration and parade. Those were really exciting events and very colorful. That's what I mean. I love that there is so much diversity and color and difference among everyone here. It's beautiful. I'd have to say it's kind of like the show we're seeing tonight. What do you mean? I mean, it's different than everything else on Broadway, but yet still accepted. It's colorful and diverse, and everyone and everything is completely different from one another, and definitely from everything else in the theater district. Yet, there's still a bond that exists here, a real connection. It really is a big, bright, beautiful world. Welcome to Stage Whisper. I'm your host, Hope Bird, and with me is my co-host, Andrew Cortez. Today, we're going to be discussing the hilarious show, Shrek the Musical. So hurry and take your seats. It looks like the show is starting. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Duloc. I mean, Stage Whisper. We are so excited that you've joined us on this quest. I mean, adventure, as we tell the story of Lord Farquaad. Dang it, I mean Shrek. Shrek the Musical. We are thrilled to finally be discussing one of our favorite shows, and one that seemed, at the time, to go a little underappreciated. But not anymore. Shrek has been thrilling audiences since it played The Great White Way back in 2009. But... Before we get into that, let's get down to the brass tacks. The musical is based on the DreamWorks movie Shrek, as well as elements from Shrek 2 and Shrek Forever Away. Lesser known is that the movie and as well as the musical were based on the children's book Shrek by William Stake. The show began with Lindsay Abraire and more in 2002, with Tesori joining in 2004. The first reading took place in 2007. The production did its out-of-town tryouts at the, at the Fifth Avenue Theater in Seattle. Next, the design team was assembled. The lights were by Hugh Vanstone, sound design by Peter Helinski, wigs and hair by David Brian Brown, makeup by Naomi Don, and prosthetic makeup design by Michael Marino. Music by uh, Jeannie Tesori. Book and lyrics by David Lindsay Abair, directed by Jason Moore, scenic costume and puppet design by Tim Hatley, and choreography by Josh Prince. At the time, it was one of the most expensive musicals to open on Broadway at an estimated $25 million. And despite good reviews, the show failed to recoup its initial investment. The tour was extremely modified, beginning with the dragon and a new opening and a few new songs. An HD filming of the Broadway production was shot by Radical Media and was released on DVD, Blu-ray, and digital download on October 15th, 2013, and made available on Netflix in December of that year. The show set up its swamp at the Broadway Theater on December 14th, 2008. There, it would play for 441 performances until closing January 3rd, 2010. 
It would be nominated for eight Tony Awards and would snatch up the trophy for best costume design for Tim Hadley. So, now that we've laid the groundwork, let's set forth on our adventure. Please listen carefully. Two ogre parents send their seven-year-old son, Shrek, out of their house and into the world to make his living. They warn him that because of his looks, he will be shunned by the world, and an angry mob will be the last thing he will see before he dies. Some years later, an embittered, grown-up Shrek is living in, uh, living contentedly alone in a swamp. However, his solitude is disrupted when a refugee caravan of fairy tale creatures show up on his property. They explain of their banishment from the kingdom of Duloc by order of the evil Lord Farquaad, who sentenced them to be relocated for being freaks under the penalty of death if they ever return. Although hesitant, Shrek decides to shre- travel to see Farquaad and try to regain his swamp, along with getting the fairy tale creatures their homes back, with much encouragement from Pinocchio and the gang. Along the way, Shrek rescues a talkative donkey from some of Farquaad's guards. In return for rescuing him and offering his friendship, Donkey insists on tagging along to show Shrek the way to Duloc, to which he reluctantly agrees. Meanwhile, in the kingdom of Duloc, Farquaad is torturing the gingerbread man into revealing the whereabouts of other fairy tale creatures that are still hiding in his kingdom so he can have them arrested as well. Just as Gingy was about to reveal what he knows, the captain of the guards arrives and announces that they have found the magic mirror. Farquaad asked the mirror if Duloc was the most perfect kingdom of them all. The mirror told him that he's not truly a king yet, but he can become one if he marries a princess. For this episode of This Is Your Wife, the mirror introduces three different princesses to Lord Farquaad to choose from, Cinderella, Snow White, and Princess Fiona. At the suggestion of his henchman, Thelonious, Farquaad chooses Princess Fiona, who is currently trapped in a castle, surrounded by lava, and guarded by a terrible fire-breathing dragon. Accepting this as a task, Farquaad decides to marry her to become king, and rushes out to plan a raffle to see which knight would be worthy enough to embark on a quest to retrieve Fiona before the mirror can tell him what happens to her at night. The mirror then shows the audience the story of Fiona's childhood. A seven-year-old Fiona dreams of a brave knight who, as her storybooks tell her, will one day rescue her from her tower and end her mysterious curse with true love's first kiss. As she grows into a teenager and then to a headstrong young woman, she becomes a little bit stir-crazy, but she never loses faith in her fairy tales. Shrek and Donkey arrive in Duloc, where Farquaad expresses his love for his kingdom, accompanied by his cheerful, cookie-cut army of Duloc dancers. They approach Farquaad, with him being impressed by Shrek's size and appearance. Farquaad demands that Shrek must rescue Fiona, and in return, he will give Shrek the deed to his swamp. The two unlikely friends set off to find Fiona, with Shrek becoming increasingly annoyed with Donkey as time passes. After crossing the rickety old bridge and arriving at the castle, Shrek sets off alone to rescue Fiona, while Donkey encounters a dragon who initially wants to eat him, but then decides to spare him by keeping him for herself after Donkey manages to charm her. When Shrek finds Fiona, his lack of interest in playing out her desired romantic rescue scene annoys her, and he drags her off by force. The two of them reunite with Donkey, and all three attempt to escape while being chased by the angry dragon and her skeleton minions. Shrek traps Dragon, and they get to a safe point. Fiona then insists that Shrek reveal his identity and is shocked that her rescuer is an ogre and not Prince Charming, as her stories indicated. Shrek explains that he is merely her champion. Instead, she is to marry Farquaad. 
The trio begin their journey back to Duloc, but Fiona becomes apprehensive as the sun begins to set. She insists that they must rest for the night and that she spend the night alone in a nearby cave. Donkey and Shrek remain awake, with Donkey asking Shrek who he would be if he didn't have to be an ogre anymore. As Shrek opens up to Donkey on who he would wish to be, it is revealed that Fiona transforms into an ogre after sunset as part of her curse, and she stands apart alone and listens and empathizes with Shrek's feelings. Act 2 starts the next day as Princess Fiona rises early and sings with the bluebird and dances with a deer before making the bird explode and throwing the deer off a cliff. She assists the Pied Piper in his rat-charming duties. Shrek brings down her mood by attempting to give subtle hints about her groom-to-be. Men of Farquaad stature and short supply. He's very good at small talk, etc., and he's mocking her tra- tragic childhood circumstances. The two begin a contest of trying to one-up each other to outdo the other's backstory, but end up revealing their respective pasts. Both admit to being thrown out of their parents' homes. This connection, as well as bonding over a love of disgusting bodily noises, kindles a friendship. Back in Duloc, Lord Farquaad is in his bathtub planning his wedding. And he reveals his own sword heritage after the magic mirror insists that Mar- that Farquaad should invite his, his father to the wedding. But Farquaad refuses, explaining how he abandoned him in the woods as a child. As Shrek and Fiona's newfound commandeer camaraderie <laughs> grows into love, Donkey insists, with the help of the three blind mice from his imagination, that Shrek should gather his courage and romantically engage Fiona. Shrek, finally beginning to come out of his caustic protective shell, tries to find the words to explain his feelings to Fiona. While Shrek is out finding a flower for Fiona, Donkey discovers that Fiona turns into an ogress at night, and she confesses that she was cursed as a child, which is why she was locked away in the tower. Only a kiss from her true love will, will return her to proper form, and she asks Donkey to promise never to tell. Shrek arrives near the end of the conversation and misunderstands Fiona's description of herself as an ugly beast and thinks she is talking about him. Hurt by her presumed opinion, Shrek storms off. The next day, transformed back into her human form, Fiona decides to tell Shrek about her curse. She then tries to explain, but Shrek rebuffs her with his ugly beast overhearing, uh, causing Fiona to misunderstand. At that moment, Farquaad arrives to claim Fiona and tells Shrek he has cleared the swamp of the fairy tale creatures, and now it belongs to Shrek again. While not very impressed with Farquaad, Fiona agrees to marry him and insists that they have the wedding before sunset. As Farquaad and Fiona ride back to Duloc, Donkey tries to explain the misunderstanding to Shrek, who is too angry and upset to listen, and Shrek rejects him as well, declaring that he will return to his swamp alone and build a wall to shield himself from the world. Meanwhile, the fairy tale creatures are on their way to a landfill, which is to be their new home since they were forced to relocate from the swamp. After dealing with the fact that Shrek broke his promise to them, however, Jinji rants that Farquaad's treatment of them is intolerable. Just because they are freaks does not mean they deserve to be hated, so he rallies most of the fairy tale creatures into staging a coup d'etat against Farquaad's rule. Unfortunately, a bitter Pinocchio, remembering that they are not allowed back to Duloc, who doesn't want his friends to get killed, suggests that they should just keep going and wait until everything gets better, all while wishing he was a real boy. Exasperated by Pinocchio's turndown, Jinji convinces him to join the protest, inspiring him to accept who he is, as all of them have accepted who they are. They gather new confidence and strength in themselves as they declare that they'll raise their freak flag high against their tormentors. Now realizing that they have become something more than friends and have become a family, Pinocchio now leads his gang back to Duloc to overthrow Farquaad once and for all. Shrek has returned to his once again private swamp, but he misses Fiona. 
donkey shows up attempting to seal off his half of the swamp with stone boulders, which Shrek rebuffs. In turn, donkey angrily berates Shrek for his reclusive and stubborn habits, even to the point of driving off Fiona. An angered Shrek reveals he heard her talking about the hideous creature the night before, and Donkey retorts that they were not talking about him, but of someone else. When a confused Shrek inquires who it was, Donkey, wanting to keep his promise and still cross with Shrek, refuses to talk. When Shrek apologizes and extends his friendship, Donkey forgives him. The two then go back to Duloc, where Shrek objects to this marriage before Farquaad can kiss Fiona, and Fiona convinces him to let Shrek speak with her. Shrek finally finds the words to express his feelings for Fiona, and he declares his love for her. However, his declaration of love is mocked by Farquaad. Caught between love and her desire to break the curse, Fiona tries to escape the event. Just then, the fairy tale creatures storm into the wedding and protest their banishment. They are also accompanied by Grumpy, one of the seven dwarfs, who reveals that he is Farquaad's father, and he kicked Farquaad out at the age of 28 when he wouldn't move out of the basement, revealing Farquaad is a freak as well. During the scuffle, the sun sets, causing Fiona to turn into an ogress in front of everyone. Farquaad, furious and disgusted over the change, orders Shrek to be drawn and quartered along with the fairy tale creatures, and Fiona is banished back to her tower. As Farquaad proclaims himself the new king, Shrek whistles for the dragon, who has now escaped the castle, and is the reason Shrek and Donkey go to the wedding just in time, or got to the wedding just in time. Dragon then crashes through the window with Donkey and incinerates Farquaad with her fiery breath. With Farquaad dead, Shrek and Fiona admit their love for each other and share true love's first kiss. Fiona's curse is broken, and as she takes her true form, an ogress. At first, she is ashamed of her looks, but Shrek declares that she is still beautiful. The two ogres begin a new life together, along with Donkey, Dragon, and the fairy tale creatures, as everyone celebrates their liberation against Farquaad's rule. In the end, Shrek and Fiona, in association with Donkey and Dragon, host their post wedding party. The, the end. end. So let us now discuss the show. I love this show so much. I love this show. It's such a good show. You know, it it was under, it really was underappreciated when it was on Broadway. I really do think. Yeah. Um, But we'll get to that. Look, the story is so great. It's such a good story. It's, it's. It is your typical fairy tale, but at the same time, it's not your typical fairy tale. Right. I also feel like in some ways you could interpret interpret this show as an allegory for um, gay rights that was, you know, gaining the gay rights movement that was definitely gaining a lot okay. of momentum during this time. So. I, okay, I, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll go with that. Um, I just feel like it was, I don't want to call it a dark fairy tale, but it definitely wasn't like a super children's fairy tale because the humor was just right. It was kin- kid friendly, but it was also just the right amount of like envelope pushing for adults, you know? Yes. There was a lot of tongue in cheek and innuendo, out uendo. <laughs> um, I mean, there were plenty of fart jokes, which I don't care your age, you know. A fart joke. was a good fart joke. But you know, there, there, it, it was really super clever in that sense that it allowed both age groups of the audience to experience and appreciate that facet of the show, you know, um, which I think was great. Oh yeah. Um, also to couple that, the music was fantastic. I love this music. There's so many good ballads. There are so many good character songs. Those great style. Oh yeah. You know, good balancing style. Um, and the other thing I really love are the references that are in here. Um, the references are, are, are a gag within a gag, you know. The fact that they didn't take this too seriously. When they got together and they were like, we're going to do Shrek the Musical, this is not high art. This is not, we're going to change the world of the theater and challenge the way people think. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm not, and I don't want to take away from anybody's craft. 
uh, at all. You know, because the craft, the level of craft is at such a high level. But they were like, we're doing Shrek. We have to, at, at some point, we have to be silly. We, ha- we can't take this so serious that it, you know, you, you're, I don't know how to put it. You're, you're trying to do high art with something so silly. So what I loved is that they were like, cool, let's go hardcore completely the other way. So they started spoofing things like other musicals. I love that they spoofed Wicked with yes. Farquaad at the end of um, What's Up Duloc at the end. And no one gonna bring me down. Ah, you yeah. know, or they did the chorus line in that number you know with the kick line when they were wandering around sing a song a travel song they're wandering to go get to the castle you know they're showing the day the night the day the night and then they had the sun come up and they had the rolling animals hey you know and i was like okay and then when they did the freak flag number oh yeah that's a total this green flag in the back and i'm just sitting there and i'm like it takes real balls like those are like Broadway classics and you just and like you're on Broadway stage and you're like yeah we're gonna make fun of you <laughs> we're, we're, no we one are, is safe we are that ridiculous but the thing is is it worked if you were if it was a terrible show if it was a terribly written show or what have you it would be an utter fail but because everything was at the top notch performance level it worked so well um, I loved the fact that they were incorporating projections. Uh, this, you know, in all that, um, uh, with with like uh, uh, what I'm thinking of is like the uh, pick your your princess or whatever it was. Oh yeah. And it was that cartoon projection like we're familiar with with the movie. Uh huh. You know, or even the Magic Mirror. Yeah. That was really clever, you know. Um, and then of course you know the songs about specific fairy tale. Characters, the way they incorporated them, the three blind mice, you know, mm-hmm. they're this like backup doo-wop singing group, you know, lady singing group. And then, of course, the story of my life, all the characters come out here and you get a background of all these different characters. Yes. And you get like a, a real world take on these fairy tale creatures. Yes. I love that the, 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 the big bad wolf is a guy, but oh, he's yeah. a drag and he plays it like a drag queen. Yeah. You know, we're not trying to do the whole like, yes, they found me uh, playing, you know, grandma to eat Little Red Riding Hood. It's like, actually, no, I'm actually a drag queen. They kind of got the story a little bit wrong, you know, uh, which we find out it later on in Freak Flag. You know, there's a Scientologist in there and everything like that. I, I think that's just so funny. Um, and just as a side note, um, to show how much good humor and whatnot this show has um that year at the tony's during a commercial break and i'm not sure i think it's still on youtube but during a commercial break they showed a clip where they showed all the different characters from shrek auditioning for broadway yes that was such a good year and they were mocking different shows yes you know one of my favorite was the three little pigs auditioning for billy elliott which was up for the tony that year mm-hmm. and they were doing the chair thing mm-hmm. and you know or pinocchio who played who the john actor, tartaglia played yeah. the originated the role of princeton, princeton and, and so he was auditioning for the role and of princeton said, yep yep you know um the big bad wolf saying uh out tonight from rent yeah you know it, these the the artists behind the show really understood like they just understood that this is just fun and silliness. I know, which is why I don't understand. Like, I have a hard time understanding why it wasn't more successful on Broadway. It was just, I think it's just the wrong time. I think now that the word is out, it's like, oh. Um, but we'll get to that. Um, set. I thought the set was great. We've already talked about the projection, but it was very detailed and very stunning really developed in each of the different scenes and now we've mentioned before where um a lot of sets they just have a few pieces that help establish where they're at and then with this show when i remember there was a lot more detailed oh yeah they really painted the full picture i definitely felt like i was in the forest or you were in the castle or the cave right you know or um uh when they showed the scene where uh, Fiona's in the cave mm-hmm. and the other two were outside, I thought that was really great detail. But what I'd love to know is what's an actual physical set piece and what's a projection. Because that line did get blurred a lot. Yeah. You know. Um, 
I I think the costumes were absolutely thrilling and fantastic. I will say just as like a side note, this it's always been my dream to design hair and makeup for this show because there's so much play that you can have with this show. Right. I mean, there's tons of different prosthetic pieces, yep. um, and they're I need most of the time they need to be functional prosthetic pieces. Yep. Um, I mean. Because, like, Shrek's ears wiggle, uh-huh. and, you know, the fact that he still has to emote, but have that face and everything. Right, like, or that Pinocchio's nose has to grow, grow. larger and then come back. Um, also, I the way that they do the transformation between... Ogre and princess? Yeah, for Fiona is just... I still don't understand how they do it. Well, I know the answer. I'm just not going to give it out to you. I, I'm not going to get the secret, give I the protest. secrets out. I protest. I protest. Um, you won't believe it if I give you the answer, but I promise you it's... it's Probably uh, simple, huh? It's very simple. Um, it's probably just jumping... It's a double. I don't know. No, it's definitely not a double. It is definitely but Sutton Foster as both Princess and Ogress Princess. It's so impressive, though, because it, it, it happens live and in front of you, and it happens so quick. Yes. And yes, that's the amazing thing. I thought the characters were amazing. Uh, it was like puppeting without puppeting, <laughs> if that makes sense. Like, we had to see all these different characters as caricatures or puppets or whatnot, but it couldn't be, like, your Lion King puppets or uh, even more recently the Winnie the Pooh musical where, you know, they're, they're walking puppets kind of thing. These still had to be fairy tale creatures. It wasn't like a Halloween costume. No, they were fully embodied um, Halloween creatures, and I think that that just goes Not oh, Halloween wow. creatures, I, but... Oh, wow. Wow. Fairy tale creatures. Sorry, Halloween... It is one of my favorite holidays, so I always have it on the brain. Yeah. No, but, you know, I thought the costumes were great. Fiona's Um, dress was gorgeous. Oh, that green velvet-looking, like, dress. uh, Yes. That medieval velvet trim. I just, oof. I I love how they did Lord Farquaad and the Farquaadettes because it almost looked like plastic lego Yes. Even the hair, like, it... The hair moved, but it didn't move, if that makes no, sense. No, I'm pretty sure it was, like, some sort of, like, plastic cap, because it was, like, plastic foam hair. Well, because he still moved it around, like, when he was in the bathtub Oh, not Farquads. Sorry. Oh, not, oh yeah, no, the, the Farquadettes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, that's their new name. I've, I've established it. <laughs> but um, what I loved is how they did Lord Farquad, because, you know, if and, uh, Christopher Sieber is, is uh, an actor I absolutely adore. And he's a giant, imposing man who was would go say, on to play the trench bull, who has to be this Madden, big. And then also in, in the prom, if you see him, he's I, at least six foot close to that, or maybe a little over it, and then he's got to play this three-foot tall person. Well, that actor... You know, they're on their knees the whole time. But what's great is, you know, I think there's a couple times in the show where you could see the black cape that, like, hangs over uh, the actor. Really, outside of that, you don't see it. Or you don't even notice it. And I was like, that was a clever way to solve that problem. Yeah. Um, In regards to the lighting, I thought it was really brilliant and helped tell the story. Oh, yeah. Like, the scenes with the moon and the night sky were just big and beautiful. And it, it helped with the comedy, uh-huh. you know, because it would light different parts of the stage at different times to emphasize certain things. You know, like in the beginning number, um, there's this sweet little, we're different, son, which means that people hate us, you know. And there's this mob in the back, and that's when they, like, shine a light in the back, and there's a mob. And then it comes back to the ogres talking. Yeah. And it's like this sweet family moment, but I'm like, that's... Okay. Well, I and I would it. describe the lighting as uh, romantic, honestly. Like, when it needed to be romantic, it was very romantic. Um, and then when it needed to be hot, it was hot. When yeah. it needed to be, you know, comical, it was comical. And I loved it. I loved the use of lights in the transformation scene because it was almost like... I think the best way to describe it would be like um, a... Um, planetarium like rock show laser show thing yeah because there were beams of light going everywhere and smoke and we really got that sense that something magical was happening well i don't want to call it like a rock concert because it didn't have that effect but it looked magical and transformative which was cool and the dragon scene was also really cool the way that they i mean it was a giant puppeted dragon you know, right, but who then who had the three ladies? Who I'm pretty sure also played the three blind mice, who I think were the scales. 
if I remember right. Um, no, they were just dressed up and they were by the, like, near the dragon the whole time. But the way they use color and, you know, and they emphasize yeah. the color for the flames, because you could they, there was no live fire. No. I think if they tried to use it, everything would go up in flames. But, right. The but show the is highly they, flammable. They used the lighting to create that, and I was like, I, I'm, it literally, I could hear Julie Taymor saying, you don't have to give the audience everything. You don't have to finish the sentence for them. They know they're coming to the theater, and they'll finish the sentence for you. They'll use their imagination. And we did, you know. Um, and speaking of using our imagination, Jeannie Tesori used her imagination and created this incredible score. It was incredibly memorable. It was funky and fantastic. It was a and, little jazzy. It was... I mean, she hit all the marks with it. She... She, again, she understood that what this show was and was like, I'm going to, the thing, like, like I said, you could be really horrible because it's it's a silly show or you could still strive to make high art and it worked perfectly and that's what she did. Oh yeah, well because I feel like every single song embodied the character. Yep. You know, and I think that that takes a lot of hard work to make a cohesive show like that when there's so many different kinds of characters in the show. Well, and it's just all the show. All, what what I love is you know obvious there are two things with the song and a musical. One, they should help further this the the story along, and in this kind of a musical. And two, the reason why we sing is because we have no words to say what we want to say. Well, that being said, I felt like all these songs did that, and they were appropriate mood and all of that stuff. I'm thinking of like the travel song or good morning birds, good morning <laughs> sky. Do, 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 do. Well, you know, <laughs> I just thought they were all fantastic. But then again, they were just so silly. Fiona takes the, the, the pipe from the Pied Piper and she just rocks out this like jazz funk flute, you know, and there's yeah. a big tap number that turns into uh, a big Broadway show shopping number, and I'm like, this is just ridiculous, and I'm sold. I'm buying into all of this, you know. Oh yeah. Um, it, uh, the music, it's just, it's memorable. It sticks in your head. Oh yeah. I, I've got the soundtrack now playing in my head. Always. The choreography was really creative, and it, what what made it really brilliant was a lot of these characters, a lot of these actors were in bulky costumes. So you can't do this a five, six, seven, eight chorus line choreography, but you still, it's a Broadway show. You still got to move and you've got to do something. And they did. And, and, and they moved in a way that I was really impressed with. Oh yeah. Well, and when they needed to, they had a big old costume change so that they could be more flexible to do bigger movements like the tap scene with the mice. Yes. You know, um, well, what I loved about the tap scene with the mice is the curtain was just high enough and the shoes were the mice, remember? Yeah. And they're just doing the thing. And Oh, and there's another reference. It's 42nd Street mm-hmm. where they just raise the curtain up and they're doing the tap number to open up the show. Anyway, sorry. Sidetrack. I've got a one uh, 15-track brain. I'm Grand Central Station in my brain right now. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was also clever the way they just all the choreography went. It was not super complex but it complemented the story yes. really, really well. The last thing I want to mention is the direction. I thought it was a really good interpretation of the story. Yeah, it was its own Broadway interpretation, but still fit in the world of the movie and the book. See, what I love is whenever... A lot of people rag on this. They all they want to, There's some people out there that just want to see original stories put on Broadway, and I respect that. You know, I get that. But my thing is... It's not a bad thing necessarily to bring a familiar story, a movie or something, or a jukebox musical to Broadway, as long as it's successful, as long as it works well. Don't copy and paste what what worked in one medium to another, because chances are it may not work, you know? Um, and for that, what I'm thinking of, actually, we met, we, you and I were talking about this last night when we saw Chicago. Uh, in a stage production, we never know how Velma Kelly gets off. They don't say in the musical how that happens. She just, she gets off. But in the movie they do. And I was like, oh, I've, I've never noticed that, but I guess that makes sense because in the theater, we're just going to accept it. I'm like, oh, it's a theater show. But probably in a movie, we'd be like, wait, there was a loose end that we didn't tie up. So that being said, I'm glad they didn't copy paste 
the Shrek movie onto the stage because it's like that's an animation you can't create every single thing of that onto the stage do your own thing stick close to the story and you'll see great success and I think of other shows like Mean Girls or um, even Groundhog's Day Groundhog Day to an extent uh, Frozen to an extent you know these kind of shows that stuck close to the story but still did a little bit more on the side to Further the character. Yeah. The character, the in-depth character analysis. Yeah. The show had several notable cast members, including my man, Brian Darcy James, who played Shrek, Sutton Foster, who played Fiona, Christopher Sieber, who played Lord Farquaad, Uh, Daniel Breaker, who played uh, Donkey, John Tartaglia, who played Pinocchio, like we talked about, and someone we have both worked with, uh, Jennifer Cody. So let's now talk about the impact this show has had on the theater and its history. Theatrical impact. Ooh, that's a good question. Ah, uh, put, put me in, Coach. I got this one. Because I actually wrote about this in my theater journal. This show, in my opinion, in my scholarly opinion, my wiser opinion, redefined the mega musical. Okay? Um... Think about the costumes, the prosthetics, the familiar familiarity of the story. You know, we got this big blockbuster movie, and it was a big blockbuster movie. Uh-huh. So it's hitting all the marks. Audience know, uh, are well known to the audience. We've got this great composer and Jeannie Tesori with this great music. We've got mm. this innovation with projections and prosthetics and costumes. We're adding all of this. We're forwarding the technology in the theater. We're going to redefine what a mega musical is. It was, at the time, the most expensive musical being done on Broadway. Now, I look back prior to that and I go, okay, so what was the most previous mega musical, successful mega musical, if you will? And I'm dabbling in uh, on that level. I'm thinking, well, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert was a huge show with all those costumes, but it was costumes. I mean, it was costumes. Pirate Queen was big, and I think that was a big show was set. I didn't actually see it, so I don't know. Costumes were really expensive, too, but... Hairspray was a pretty big... That that got close to that. So this is what I'm saying. It it was a whole nother level of mega musical. Oh, yeah. Well, because you had to have puppets that were smaller than life as well as larger than life. Yeah. You had to have that whole big array, and it all had to fit and flow into the picture of the proscenium yeah. together. And, and, and the story was not your typical, it didn't follow your typical storyline of, you know, I'm thinking like Lion King or something like that, where, you know, someone suffered a tragic death halfway through and they have a redeeming blah, 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 blah. No, like th- it was a very human, very relatable for all people kind of story. Oh, yeah. It also reimagined the family-friendly show. Yes, because before this time, it was really just a Disney show was really what was family-friendly. Right. You know, um, suddenly this there was there were more options. Uh, you know, it wasn't Annie. It wasn't a Disney show. Was we could still have a fairy tale story that wasn't a Disney show. That, was, uh, that pushed the envelope that also mom and dad could enjoy, too, and get a laugh at. Yes, uh, because, know? I mean, how many of our, par- our friends who are now parents who are like, oh, my God, if, if I, I have to, listen to watch Frozen. Coco one yeah. more time. Yeah. You know, I, I'm, I, we, we don't have kids as of yet, but I always make the joke, I'll be the guy, because when I worked for, you know, as a ship shopper at Target and Frozen 2 came out, the preview always came on into the unknown, into the unknown. We have a goddaughter, and I would just mindlessly sing that, and our best friend would look at me and she'd be like, don't, don't, you don't understand. Don't do that. You know, now this was something that everyone can appreciate. Um... And like I've mentioned before, it brought a familiar, well-loved tale to the stage. And it's brought it in a new way that brought audiences to the theater. And what I mean by that is 
You weren't just going because it was Shrek. You might be going because you're like, well, how does Shrek look? How does he get to do the things that he does? Well, I know that Fiona changes from a princess to an ogre. How is that done? You know, we've seen Beauty and the Beast and, and that happened. But how do they do that? What about the magic mirror? I want to go see all these characters, you know. Word started getting around about all this and suddenly similar to what happened in the late 80s, early 90s where people were going to the spectacle of like, Phantom and Miss Saigon and Lee Miz and all that, they were going to see Shrek to be like, I want to see this spectacle. It was a spectacle to see this cast. Um, an interesting theatrical impact is that it was just dis distributed, uh, the show was just distributed in a new format. I'm thinking DVD, Netflix yeah, in particular. It was, it, was it was regularly being streamed. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, it was before Hamilton. Before Hamilton. You know, I know Company was sold on DVD. Uh, you know, Billy Elliot was recorded in Memphis. But the thing Even is... Even Rent Live was, you well, know... That was done. But the thing is, like, this was the first one to cover several mediums and be like, we want the world to see this. Right. It was almost like you would expect, like, when a movie comes out in theaters and then it gets distributed and it then has, like, digital copies download available mm -hmm. and all this stuff. It was marketed just like a movie. Yeah, because I feel like the producers were like, well, look, we've closed. This is obviously not going to be on Broadway anymore. Because a lot of producers usually will limit what they can get where it's distributed so that they can still recoup money elsewhere in other forms if the show is touring or if it's playing on Broadway. And they right. were just like, nah, but you I, enjoy I this. I saw this show being played at doctor's offices. Yeah. Like, I we was watched like, it on a bus on the way home from L.A. Yeah, with the U of U. I was like, mainstream people are watching the staged version of Shrek instead yeah. of the movie of Shrek. And the last thing I want to say about theatrical impact is that it challenged what the Broadway musical had to look and be like. You know? We can be funny and silly and not take ourselves so seriously and really... We can make fart jokes and have a heartfelt story. Yeah, I feel like the last time a love letter was written to Broadway, we made fun of ourselves, was the producers. Yeah. And that was back in 2000, 2001. And all of a sudden, nearly a decade later, we were doing it again and being like, okay, we've come this far. Let's ha-ha on ourselves. So let's go on to the societal impact. It spread the message that it's okay to be a freak and to be different. And that's an important message. Right. Well, and it was encouraging to the idea of acceptance and tolerance in all forms, not just because of your gender identity or your sexual identity yeah. or your religious identity or your creature identity. Well, that's you know? the thing is it didn't blatantly say what exists out here in our world. It used it in terms that not only kids, not I mean, adults obviously read between lines, but kids got. We shouldn't not we shouldn't discriminate against people because they're fairy tale creatures or because they're green or because they're they're nose a wooden grows. boy. Yeah, you know, and all of a sudden these these kids are learning that lesson of being like, I probably shouldn't, you know, discriminate against that kid because he's a different color or they wear a different hat that I don't understand or this that or the other. I'd rather be a Shrek than a Farquad. Yes. You know and. You plant those little seeds in those minds and the world becomes a better place. And I think there's there's definitely that that's a good thing for a show to do to spread a good message around. Right. And a message that can be like it doesn't have to smack you in the face with its message. Yeah. And it gave communities and high schools and other wonderful places a show to put on and even be introduced to the stage themselves through. oh yeah because to put on a production of shrek in a community you have to have a lot of people involved um and so it can be a great it can be a great intro for people who have never done theater to get mm -hmm. into the theater because it's something familiar to them plus like who doesn't want to dress up as a fairy tale creature well it's good for a small theater company because people will come out to support that because they right. know the title and they they, right, it's and a familiar show. you don't have to spend a ton of money on costumes because you can interpret them in any old way. Like Absolutely. you don't have to spend a million bucks to make a dragon. Paper mache is your friend. Or even if you made like one of those like Trogdor like looking dragons, like Good people would Lord, love Trogdor. that. Trogdor. <laughs> Middle school was a great time. So finally, is this show relevant? A thousand times, yes. 
It was very underappreciated for what it was at the time. I think it got covered up by several other big shows at the time. In the Heights, Billy Elliot, West Side Story, just to name a few. And after its closing, and then its successful tour, and then the release of the recording, audiences saw what it was. I think it's due for a comeback. I think audiences will flock to be entertained now more than ever and really enjoy the fun, familiar story as well as the true artistry of the show. Not to mention with the advancements in technology and the theater, I really, really think this show could be a huge success. So what you're saying is a revival of Shrek on Broadway right now would be awesome. Yeah, and I'm just saying, the former home of Shrek, the Broadway theater is empty. Uh, you know, it's... Well, I almost wonder if a different venue for this theater would have been more successful for them. The hardest thing I have with the Broadway theater... Is it so huge? Well, I I, I don't mind it being huge. It's the fact that the the audience, like the the, where the audience sits, is so deep that it gets harder to see, especially with it being such a big show, that you start sitting in the back in the... I guess the rear mezzanine and it gets hard to see the show especially if there are more people sitting in front of you so if you had something like the St. James something like the St. James where you're up a little higher and you can everyone could be closer St. James might be a better theater then but I'm just saying it's this would be a good show especially for the times yeah we're looking to challenge social uh, what's the word I'm looking for inequalities well no just social issues but we also need shows that are going to just entertain us and really give us a little bit of an escapism. And I think this show can do both. And I just think that it didn't get the the due it was owed. I think it just was a very short-lived show, and it's unfortunate, but I think now is the time. As promised, we wanted to share some of our own personal stories about experiencing the show. So we saw the show once, both of us, back in 2009. And in Act 1, the stage malfunctioned. They were doing the transition from the opening number to the swamp, and the lights were changing. And then we saw a flash, and I was like, oh, that's cool. But then, like, the light, the curtain came down, and the stage manager comes on and says, we're just going to hold the show for a minute for a technical difficulty. And it was like... what? Right, but then uh, who came out? It was well. Well, hold on. So that happened in Act One, and again, a lot of this technology, especially with the stage, because the stage was very complex. It was very. New. It was early. Uh, it was it was making early advancements in automation. Yeah. Um, that we hadn't seen before. Well, Act One goes, does its thing. Everything's groovy. Intermission happens. We're doing our thing. And intermission's happening, and it's still going, and it's still going. And I say to Hope, I'm like, man, this intermission seems like it's going on forever. Finally, Donkey and Farquaad come out, and they start basically just improving because they were still having an issue with the stage. So they just start improving stuff and entertaining the audience. It was amazing. I was just like... It was the things you had heard about that you needed to know how to do in high school, but you never saw anyone do it, so you're like, eh, why do I need to learn how to do this? I've never seen a Broadway show where things go wrong. Well, I've never seen, like, you know, where they have to drop the curtain and hold and all things like that. And I've never seen something where they have gone wrong and the actors have to come out and just kind of entertain while they fix a problem. And I was just like, this is impressive. I wasn't mad. I wasn't just like, oh, clearly they don't know what to do. I was just like, keep going. I'm buying into it. It was fun. And then the show got back running. It was great. I had so much fun at the show. It was a hoot. (laughs) It was a hoot. I mean, honestly, this is one of my, like, this is in my top ten favorite shows. And then after the show, I got to meet two of my favorite actors, Brian Darcy James and Christopher Sieber, and they were both nice as can be. Absolutely amazing. Um, oh, they, it was wonderful. Um, and then, of course, this show has given me a few songs that I've been able to put in my book. You know what's funny is you had never even thought about using Shrek. And then I was like, Andrew, you need to do Who I'd Be. I think that's the song for you. And you're like, I don't know. And then you took it to your, uh, I, I had your that, vocal like, teacher. I had that Timon moment, you know, where they find Simba and Puma's like... 
hey, maybe when he gets bigger, he'll be on our side. And Timon goes, no, no, what are you crazy? Hey, wait a minute, I got an idea. Maybe he'll be on our side. <laughs> yeah, I took him to my voice teacher, and he's just like, yeah, no, this is a good song for you. And I was like, hey, guess what? I got a new song. And you were like, huh, I wonder where you got that idea from. Right. So, but it, and it gave you just a whole bunch of different ones to. Shrek is a good role I'd love to play. Just saying. I got the body type for it. As theaters everywhere continue to turn their <laughs> lights back on, we look forward to seeing the show again. We really, really, really do. I really hope you'll be able to catch Shrek sometime near you. I hope I'll be able to catch Shrek sometime near you. Sometime soon, near me. <laughs> We'd also like to give a quick update on the reopening of Broadway. We'd like to welcome Her Majesty Princess Diana to the Long Acre Theater in Diana the Musical, now playing eight times a week. Uzo Abuda stars in Lynn Nottage's new play Clyde's, now playing at the Helen Hayes Theater. Guys, Broadway is back in full force and the lights really have never been brighter. It's really starting to feel like normal here. We'll be continuing to share special episodes covering our return to Broadway and help usher back the Great White Way. You'll be able to catch these every Tuesday and Saturday. So, until next time, I'm Andrew Cortez. And I'm Hope Bird. Reminding you to turn off your cell phones. Unwrap your candies. And keep talking about the theater. In a stage whisper. Thank you. If you like what you hear, please leave a five-star review, like, and subscribe. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Stage Whisper Pod. And feel free to reach out to us with your comments and personal stories at StageWhisperPod at gmail.com. Our theme song is Fox by Music for Wildlife. Other music on this episode provided by Chazar, John Bartman, Ultra Cat, Evan Schaefer, and Billy Murray.